everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us for the conversation, glad to welcome Nathaniel Gabriel, Industrials Analyst for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Nathaniel, welcome to Top of the Morning. I know this is your first appearance with us, and you did recently join the UBS Chief Investment Office as an equity analyst covering the U.S. industrial sector. So perhaps Nathaniel is a starting point for our listeners, our clients. Can you provide us with a little background about yourself and maybe speak to your capacity here with the team at UBS? Absolutely, Dan. Uh, First of all, thank you very much for having me on this morning. It's great to be here and and great to be joining UBS. Um, By way of background, I I started off on the sell side at Argus Research, where I covered the multi-industrial, aerospace and defense, and transportation categories. Uh, and after that, I spent nearly a decade at Safra, which is a private bank focused mainly on Latin American clients. Uh, and there I selected investments for the asset management group's model portfolios and, and managed account platform, uh, and also sat on the firm's investment committee. I joined UBS's chief investment office in March uh, to cover the industrial sector uh, and just to serve as a resource to our equity strategy, asset management, and financial advisor teams. You recently, Nathaniel, initiated coverage of the group U.S. Industrials with a neutral view. So can you expand a bit on your thesis there and perhaps speak to the notable risks or headwinds facing the group at this time? Sure. So we do think the risk reward for the sector is pretty balanced at this stage. Um, there are a couple of moving pieces that feed into that that, that I'm happy to touch on, but to summarize, we're looking at a combination of decelerating leading indicators that usually portend pretty disappointing performance for industrials, um, but also some unique tailwinds that have developed due to the atypical nature of the recovery we've had since the depths of the pandemic. Uh, and all of this against a relative valuation that's, that's right in line with the long-term average. Um, but beginning with the ISM Manufacturing PMI Index, which is a very closely watched survey of manufacturing companies that tracks The monthly trends in in categories like new orders and inventory and and production, um, all of these in units, not dollars, which I think is is key in this kind of inflationary environment. And what we see is that industrials tend to underperform after that aggregated survey number peaks uh, and then begin to outperform after it troughs. And right now, although the index is still signaling month-over-month growth overall, uh, we've seen a pretty steady deterioration in the index from the peak back in early 2021, uh, and more recently, the new orders component flipped into negative territory, and consumer uh, the customer inventory trends aren't looking so encouraging either. Uh, we certainly don't presume to know exactly where or when that index will bottom, but, but that deceleration uh, does look to be a headwind, and we often encounter investors that are just unwilling to step into the industrial space until that index falls below the threshold of 50 that starts to signify broader contraction. Um, that being said, I, I think there are a number of very unusual dynamics that could keep industrial company results afloat for longer than investors might expect. Uh, I have to say, as an analyst covering cyclicals, I always have a deep aversion to saying this cycle is different. And to be clear, I don't, I don't think industrials are immune by any means if the economy is, is headed for a harder landing. But My expectation is that the industrial sector shouldn't be the one to lead the charge downward this time and, frankly, could look fairly resilient for a few more quarters, even if things worsen. Um, You know, for one thing, it's very hard to paint the sector with a broad brush since the companies serve a very wide range of end markets from energy to healthcare to consumer to the U.S. government. 
some of those end markets are really just now starting to accelerate or recover from years of underinvestment, uh, whereas others are, are starting to look a little peaky. Uh, as I'm sure many listeners have seen in the headlines, one of the defining features of, of the post-pandemic recovery we've had has been the supply chain bottlenecks. Uh, that's affected everything from computer chips here to circuit breakers to forged components for my companies. Um, and, and it's been very difficult, frankly, for companies to navigate, but it's also smoothed out the revenue trajectory, uh, especially in the capital goods space. So as a result, uh, what we're seeing is a lot of companies now have record backlogs, um, several rounds of price hikes embedded in that backlog that not only provide visibility into 2023 in many cases, um, but also should bring higher margins as that ba- backlog starts to get converted to revenue. And that could start to look even better if, if commodity prices continue to soften and some of the raw material hedging that companies use to protect themselves begins to roll into those lower prices. Um, but, you know, that being said, there are certainly some risks to watch out for. Uh, I would flag the possibility that, you know, some of the negative consumer sentiment starts to leak into corporate capital spending decisions, which then leads to a drop off in new orders and then a quicker burn down of that backlog uh, and potentially an air pocket on the other side. Uh, We're certainly keeping a close eye on new order trends and backlog cancellation rates, which is where we think we'd see the first signs of danger. Um, We're not seeing any major cracks yet outside of, of small pockets of consumer exposure. Uh, and we're hearing from management that customers are still much more likely to call to find out their place in line or check to make sure there hasn't been another price hike rather than call to cancel their order. Um, companies will tell you they, they see orders are tied to specific projects that are still moving forward rather than just building up in a bin somewhere. Um, but this does merit watching since backlog can, can be fickle. Uh, industrials are, are obviously facing a number of other headwinds as well. Uh, we have the strong U.S. dollar, which continues to be a drag on, on revenue growth. Uh, even though some of the supply chain issues may have stabilized, uh, lead times are still very extended. And there's a feeling that if we're seeing the peak of inflation, we might also have seen the peak of industrial pricing power as well. Um, you know, I would also say we could have some risk to the upside in a softer landing scenario uh, where we see better supply chain conditions, allow companies to complete more of the mostly finished work that's sitting in inventory, uh, get product out the door, and then see stronger cash flow as a result. Uh, and if business demand holds up reasonably well, then you know maybe conditions don't get bad enough for, for management teams to start cutting expectations. Uh, and investors that have been waiting for that to happen before buying in end up throwing in the towel and, and need to chase the space. Uh, and finally, just wrapping it up from a valuation perspective, the sector has come down uh, quite a bit from the 20% premium to the S&P 500 that we saw last year uh, to roughly in line right now. But consensus is still baking in 18% earnings growth for industrials in 2023. And again, that's on top of about 35% in 22. So uh, that could be a high bar to clear if demand slows to any meaningful degree. So all in all, given these mixed dynamics, we landed a a neutral rating for the sector. If we take a pulse on the condition of company balance sheets within the group, I know we're currently making our way through the Q2 reporting season. It's been a busy time for you. Uh, We're right now near the back end of Q2 reporting. Any reflections that you can share with us? Anything to note being signaled by management teams? I know you brought up supply chain disruptions, uh, growth inflation concerns still ongoing. What can you share with us there? Yes, it's uh, certainly a very timely question since we just made it through the two-week 
surge of industrial earnings and have heard from for most of the major companies at this point. Um, and if I were to sum it up, I would categorize it as better than feared. Uh, it was it was interesting. Many of the companies that were widely expected to miss and guide down for one reason or another, uh, whether it's heavy international exposure or currency headwinds or supply chain issues, uh, by and large ended up eking out positive surprises and, and reiterating conviction in, in full-year guidance, and that's been good enough for positive stock price reactions. Uh, at the same time, we, we also saw companies that executed relatively well in the first quarter and were, frankly, pretty crowded going into the second quarter print, they also managed to clear the bar. Um, there were a handful of exceptions, of course, but for the most part, reactions to earnings were, were pretty positive. Uh, I think that's a function of a positioning that was fairly negative going into the second quarter earnings season. Uh, the feeling around the street was basically that things are changing fast. Uh, by this point, the second quarter is pretty backward looking, uh, and by now there should be some cracks forming in the management outlook. Um, really, companies were peppered with questions about where they're seeing weakness, but on the whole, investor skepticism just kept running into a wall of management optimism. And companies are, are pointing to their positive order flow and, and visibility in the backlog uh, as evidence. You know, we heard comments from, from companies, uh, from, from equipment manufacturers uh, to railroads to even the defense contractors, that demand is still very strong, and they're fighting hard to get the labor and the parts they need to capitalize on it. Um, you know, now it certainly doesn't mean things can't weaken in the second half of the year, but that being said, there really wasn't a lot for bears to pick on in the hard data in the second quarter specifically. Um, and, you know, interestingly, a few companies actually noted they saw an acceleration in July, which I don't think was expected uh, at all. Um, but overall, most end markets uh, continue to trend positively, whether it's, it's aerospace or mining, oil and gas, infrastructure, uh, even automotive seems to be recovering uh, a bit. But, you know, I, I think one company that touches most end markets said it best, and that was essentially, in general, the closer you are to the consumer, the more difficult things get. And uh, sure enough, we did see some softening in things like home tools, consumer electronics suppliers, and, and other more discretionary goods. Um, but, you know, circling back to the supply chain issue, we, we did hear pretty unanimous commentary that supplies of both uh, the electronics and some of the non-chip components were improving gradually. Uh, nobody's baking in anything close to normal this year, uh, often even next year. But overall, the feeling is that we're, we're past the peak of the problems, and therefore inventories should start to be worked down in the second half, uh, and that will support better free cash flow conversion. Um, interestingly, now that, now that the parts are starting to come in a little better, the labor issues are coming to the forefront uh, even though these companies are, are hiring aggressively, it's been pretty tough to offset attrition now that people can work remotely and, and many of these industrial jobs are fairly intensive, boots-on-the-ground type work, um, and, and not even to mention the difficulty of avoiding poaching talent from your own suppliers. But, uh, you know, in general, the feedback has been that orders are, are holding up. Um, China is coming back a bit. Europe isn't falling off a cliff, and, and things continue to chug along. Um, you know, if there's one thing I could nitpick, it might be that revenue growth has been driven significantly or in some cases entirely by price rather than volume. But again, volume has been constrained by supply uh, and price has been outpacing in inflation. So I think we'll see in the coming quarters if, if the volume side really does recover uh, or if demand starts to soften by the time production is able to pick up uh, and then 
we do have to worry about inventories being a little too high. Well, some encouraging takeaways, especially hearing how the supply chain constraints seem to be easing a bit and we're moving in a better direction there. So thank you, Nathaniel, for sharing with us some takeaways from the Q2 reporting season. Before we wrap up, maybe we can pivot over to positioning within the group. Uh, What are you currently recommending? What's your thinking there? Yeah, so, you know, when I consider the the uncertain economic backdrop and the potential for industrial results to hold up a little better this cycle, uh, you know, I've generally recommended taking a balanced approach to investing in the sector. Uh, And, you know, by that I mean I think it's important to have some of those high-quality free cash flow compounders with exposure to longer cycle end markets, but also not ignore some of the shorter cycle names with valuations that are already baking in a, a significant amount of pessimism uh, and those have done quite well in, in the recent rally. But, uh, you know, digging into a few of the industries we like specifically, uh, I would start with building efficiency. Uh, and that includes the HVAC names, and that's heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, uh, but also some of the building management software and systems companies. Uh, building operations already make up around 30% of global carbon emissions. Uh, and, you know, many large companies have, have pledged to reduce those carbon emissions. Uh, you can kind of achieve that goal and hit early milestones uh, while also reducing your operating expenses by changing out some of those systems. Um, you know, regulations are certainly moving in this direction with, you know, a, a law here in New York that requires a reduction in carbon emissions with 2030 and 2050 uh, targets or else the owners get fined. So, you know, this is clearly a, a multi-decade trend that's playing out. Um and, you know, within that, we, we really like the companies with exposure to non-residential buildings rather than those with more residential exposure, even though the residential side hasn't fallen off a cliff yet. Uh, we also like aerospace suppliers, given that air travel is, is picking up. Uh, you know, global flights are back to around 10 percent below 2019 levels. U.S. flights have, have fully recovered at this point. Uh, and the, the major aircraft manufacturers are working to ramp up production to meet pretty large backlogs and, and are really just limited by supply chain. So we see very healthy trends there. Um, as airlines bring those planes back in service, new new aircraft start to roll off the production line, um, and, and that's a, a positive tailwind for those companies. Uh, I think companies providing automation solutions should be pretty well supported. We certainly have a high cost of labor. Uh, automation can bring pretty significant efficiencies to a manufacturing facility. And, uh, you know, some of the areas that are seeing the most investment, like semiconductors and electric vehicles, are are naturally heavy users of of automation. Um, And we also like defense, although the trajectory there is a little more nuanced. Um, We we do think the the willingness to spend on military is changing in the U.S. and Europe. Uh, Particularly in the U.S., this has become uh, more of a bipartisan uh, wave. Uh, I don't think elevated tensions around the world are, are likely to dissipate anytime soon. Uh, and allies will need to replenish uh, the stockpiles of munitions that have been sent to Ukraine. Uh, Defense contractors should certainly benefit from this, but most of this benefit will show up in the coming years, given the time it takes for funding to be appropriated, uh, for foreign military sales to be approved, et cetera. Um, In in the very near term, some of the labor shortages I mentioned at the Defense Primes and lower-tier subcontractors has been a major constraint. Uh, It's weighed on results in the last quarter or two, But, you know, even if it's a slow process, we do have high conviction that that the revenue growth for the group should begin to pick up uh, as we approach the middle of the decade and the relative valuations don't fully reflect that transition to a new defense spending paradigm. Um, And just to wrap it up elsewhere, you know, we have a fairly neutral view on the transport space. 
uh, some of the, also some of the business services that fall into the industrials category, and uh, not surprisingly, remain a little more cautious on the companies with, with heavier consumer and retail exposure. Nathaniel, thank you for dropping by top of the morning today, spending time with our listeners, our clients, sharing with us your thinking on the U.S. industrial sector and the guidance there at the end on positioning as well. Very helpful. Again, Nathaniel, welcome to the firm. It's great to have you and looking forward at some point to picking back up with our conversation. It's been my pleasure, Dan. I look forward to joining you again soon. Thank you, Nathaniel. Again, we've been joined by Nathaniel Gabriel, Industrials Analyst for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. I do want to point out to our listeners, our clients, that you can now locate Nathaniel's coverage launch piece available up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Of course, clients of UBS, reach out to your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the publication directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 